0: Welcome to Rome Community Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Before we pray, um, I thought about around this time last year is when everything, like we got the notice, like man, everything shut down. And uh, we're actually the last place we went as a family to eat was drum roll was a buffet. <laughs> it was actually for my birthday or, or, um, and we wanted to go and Ada was doing gymnastics at the time. And there was this place I'm like, well, let's go. And I think I had a coupon, like it was free for me. So I'm like, well, well, of course let's go. Um, but if you've been to a buffet, uh, you know, it's very easy to, uh, overindulge if you will. Um, I think my kids like it cause the ice cream is readily available for them. But, uh, When you go to a buffet or a place that you get all you can eat, you know it's kind of interesting how you eat, and you get to that point where you're like, you could become miserable, you know, like you're just like, I, I went from like enjoying this now, like you need to roll me out of here. Uh, But the passage we're going to go over today, Jesus talks about how he's this bread, the bread of life, and yet when you eat of him. You you're satisfied completely, but there's this always like, man, but you always want to go back because how enjoyable it is to be in Christ. So it's not like a buffet where you're like, okay, I'm full and I'm miserable. It's like, no, only in Christ am I truly satisfied. And it's a great kind of mindset. So will you bow your heads and your hearts with me as we go before the Lord? God, thank you again for this day. And as we approach your word, um, Lord, we we want to approach it humbly. Yes, Uh, it's from you. God, you spoke. Um, God, we want to not just even look at this passage and may be familiar to some and just kind of hits our, our minds and we move on. Let it really, uh, the Holy Spirit just grab hold of us right now. Lord, forgive us when we approach your word even kind of just uh, lackadaisical. We want to be actively engaged with you. And so I pray for this time through the preaching of your word that we are engaged. The Holy Spirit uh, stirs in us, Lord, this desire to not only know you, but to proclaim your goodness and who Christ is to this world. Thank you. So thank you for today. Thank you for this time. We come before you now in this time of Bible study. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we're in the book of John, just kind of just to encourage you and remind you, we're looking through the different Jewish festivals that take place from John chapter 5 to John chapter 10. Uh, We paused on John chapter 6 because I wanted to wait, and as we approach closer to Easter, because John chapter 6 is... The Passover time. It's, it says the Passover is at hand in verse 4. And so I kind of want to wait as we approach closer to Easter just to kind of prepare our hearts and minds. But it's interesting as we've looked at this how John is highlighting these different feasts really with the intention of pointing out who Jesus is. It's his identity. Uh, John chapter 5, remember it was the Sabbath, and we see that there was a feast, but he didn't name the feast, but his highlight was the Sabbath. That And Leviticus chapter 23 mentions the Sabbath as the first of the Jewish festivals because it's the anchor to all other festivals. So Jesus heals the man who couldn't walk. He tells him to pick up his mat and to carry it, and they're like, how dare you? That's work. And Jesus is like, well, I have authority over the Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus fulfills that, and that he is God, and how God intended the Sabbath to be observed. And then we skip chapter 6. We went to see how in John 7 to 9, how there was this man who was born blind. And or I should say, before we get there though, there was a feast of tabernacle or booths, and Jesus made some pretty strong statements. Remember, he said uh, about the water, I am the living water. And there was that water ceremony that took place, and he was kind of saying, You do this. And guess what? It's saying in him, There's truly satisfied that he fulfills this, that only in Christ, what you're pointing to, what you're looking for, what you're longing for, he's there. And then it was the night ceremony and there's a light, the candelabras were lit and it was so bright, it lit up not just even the temple area, but man, you could see it far away. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Again, he's making these statements that are declaring who he is, And then even in John chapter 10, it was a feast of dedication, or Hanukkah, and they're looking for Israel's past, reminding themselves of the shepherding and leading and getting to that place of reform, if you will, and and they're reminding themselves, we long for that day, and Jesus then says, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd who leads his flock. And so now, as we kind of are, I know we're going to spend two weeks on this, but just side note, John chapter 6 is the longest chapter in the book of John. It's 71 verses, okay? So we're going to spend some time on it. Um, but Jesus concludes, or I should say, we conclude the, the feast cycle. And so we come to verses 1 through 15. We're going to just look at those today. And this is a worldly known miracle. It's the only miracle mentioned in all four of the Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Each of the Gospels kind of highlight different aspects of this miracle. Um, And so I encourage you to go back and look through the different Gospels and see how the different writers highlight different parts of this miracle. But as we see that this is pointing to Jesus and his nature and his identity, and so let's read starting in verse 1. Now after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. We'll stop there. So just kind of unpacking this a little bit to get us kind of knowing what's going on now. First off, it says after this. It's connecting chapter 5. Now, remember, there was a feast that was mentioned. We don't know. Different scholars say, well, maybe it was another Passover, so a whole year passed by. Uh, others say maybe it was a different feast. We don't really know. All we know is that John is purposely connecting the dots, saying, hey, Sabbath, now we come to this one. Now, he left Jerusalem. He's coming to the Sea of Galilee. He over. He's in this Gentile area, if you will, and and he's kind of fleeing in a sense or leaving the crowd because, well, if you notice throughout the gospels, Jesus didn't mind breaking away to rest and reflect in prayer. He is important for him. He's like, I need to focus. I need to have my attention drawn to be uh, towards the father in a sense. And so we see that this type of mindset, well, the crowd followed him. But notice what is described here by John in verse two. Now it says a large crowd and they followed him because Why? They saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. You could also change that word signs to miracles. Uh, Jesus was healing people. And so they were wanting to see the, the heal, healer, the miracle worker. They wanted to see Jesus do another thing. Uh, that was their mindset. And in one way, it was like free health care with a guaranteed recovery. So they're like, I'm in, right? He heals. I'm going to go where I know I'm going to get healed. But... John's highlighting the motive behind them, behind this scene. So a large crowd was coming because they saw the works of Jesus, and they're like, well, let's see what he's going to do next. Let's keep on going. Like, he heals people. Let's keep going, because I know I'm going to be well if I'm around Jesus. And so as they were following him, and John's highlighting it, it's really important that we notice that Jesus always, he gets to the heart issue. And it's not so much Jesus wants a fan club. He doesn't. He wants followers, and so there's always a distinction that when we read, like Luke chapter 14, remember, there's a party and Jesus was there and he healed a man and this crowd followed him. And then he turned to them and said, if you want to follow me, you must be my disciple. And if you want to be my disciple, this is what it looks like. And he has some strong words to say, this is a follower of Christ. And the crowd thinned out. So when you think about Jesus, he could have built the popularity, if you will, and jumped on this and said, well, man, let's keep going. If this is a large crowd and they're willing to follow me this distance, what else can we do? But that's not the heart. Jesus wants followers, not a fan club. And so there's a distinction that's made. Even today, I should say, sometimes I should say, people like hearing certain things like Jesus is a good man and he's loving and kind, and those are true. They're more of a fan of Jesus. But when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, there's a commitment. There's a distinction. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you must be willing to lay down your life. Uh, You must be willing even, he uses the term, to die and not just any death, but even on the cross saying, like, are you willing? A follower is willing. Jesus is more than just being a good man. He is the Christ, the Messiah, God in flesh, who claimed and who has all authority. See, the danger is if we just say Jesus is just a good man, then we really cut the gospel short. Because there's good men out there, but there's only one Savior who saves sinners like you and me, and that's Jesus. That's a reminder we need to have jesus it's all in him and so then we see that the large crowd followed him and their motives verse three jesus went up on the mountain uh, i hope you got note of that because whenever there's a mountain moment like take pay attention um but there's also john is drawing on some symbolism here he's really reflecting what was the biggest moment for israel's history it was the exodus that was for them that they always reflect. If you whenever you read the Old Testament and even the Psalms, they always revert and you have that as a point of reference. The Passover is so big that even their Jewish calendar year changed from Passover starting it. It changed their year because that was so important of what took place that they were freed from the bondage of slavery. And so John is saying, hey, I want you to pay attention to a lot of these symbolisms or references. Who went up on top of the mountain and saw the burning bush is Moses. Who was on top of the mountain and God spoke to him and gave him the commandments? It was Moses. And so by John saying they went up to this mountain, it wasn't just saying, well, logically, they needed a place for everyone to sit. Yes, that's true. And the, the acoustics and to be able to talk to a large crowd. Yes, all of that. But there's something even bigger here that he's pointing out. He went on top of the mountain. The one greater than Moses is here. Listen to him. So Jesus went up on top of the mountain, and we see that, verse 4, John now points out, here's the context. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. The Passover was a one-day feast, followed by the Feast of Unlovened Bread. Sometimes these two feasts get put together, and they say the eight days of Passover, because they go one from the next. And so when it says it's at hand, we don't quite know if it was nearing or in those eight days. Uh, scholars kind of go back and forth on like, well, when was this feeding of the 5,000? Like, what part of Passover? Uh, John's not trying to give us necessarily that specific detail other than like, see the connection. Passover's at hand. Look what Jesus does. The feast is so important, like I said, that they changed their calendar year. And outside the Sabbath, this was the first festival or feast of the year. And so this was kind of like, almost like the start to a new year. It's, it's a Passover. Let's get ready. Let's be reminded. Passover involved a lamb and the bread. Now, the lamb was to be without defect. And it would be taken on the 10th day of the month. Then, that lamb would live with the family until the 14th day of the month. It was for two reasons. Now, this is interesting. Because they would actually take the lamb inside their home. Like, like some of you may have a dog or a cat, or even I've heard of people having a pet pig, I guess, that they bring inside. I knew a lady that did that, and the pig would even pull like the blanket up around itself. And, and anyway, <laughs> I just said, I just eat bacon, but anyway. <laughs> but there's for two reasons. First, the family wanted to not only to see if it was without defect on the outside, but also how was its temperament, meaning without defect. And so it was like a proving time to be in the home. But this is interesting. It was also because the family became attached to the lamb. And so it became not just a lamb. It was their lamb, their lamb, that would die. So it was that personal connection. See the connection even with Christ there? I'm like, oh, man, Jesus fulfills this. I'm sure you've been connected or attached to an animal of some sort. Um, We had a friend growing up. Uh, we went over to the house sometimes, and they had property, kind of like out here, and they actually had a cow. And the cow was around for a while, and I would always say hi to the cow. And the cow would actually, like a dog, want to lick you, which cow tongues are gross, but anyway, it would want to. And I was like, man, your cow is so nice. It comes up and greets me like a dog. Well, we, they invited us over for dinner one night, and so we go over there, and I always see the cow right away, like it greets me when I get there, and the cow wasn't around. And so I'm looking, I'm like, huh. Okay, must be grazing somewhere. And so I go inside, and I say, hey, guys, what are we having for dinner? They're like, tacos. I'm like, oh, I love tacos. That's great. By the way, where's your cow? And they're like, she's here. (laughs) Kind of. And then I'm like, oh, we're having tacos. The cow's still here. I get it, you know. And it was easy for me to be attached to even the cow from greeting. And yet the family needed to feel it. That was the idea. The lamb of the family would be also slaughtered publicly. So all people would be responsible for what would take place. That the innocent lamb became the substitute for the family. The blood of the lamb, as we know in the story of Exodus, was placed on the doorposts as a covering. And this was the act they would have as Passover as a reminder and so here Jesus on top of the mountain, and we see that this Passover, it was near. It also provided grounds of a hope for a present deliverance. They were hoping for a present deliverance, even in their situation with the Roman uh, occupancy. But also, Jesus, by him coming, he was the rival of a present deliverer. See, Moses was the hero of Passover, but Jesus is the one who is greater than him, the one who supersedes him. Yet God, through Moses, provided also in the exodus, in the wilderness time, bread specific for them. Remember, they were out in the wilderness, and they were without food, and they grumbled and complained. And what did God give them? Manna. Manna from heaven. This manna was good. It was sweet. It was tasty. It was delicious. But there was a stipulation They couldn't gather more than they needed for the day. Because what would happen if they were like, why don't you want extra? Well, it became gross and had maggots in it and just wouldn't be edible. And so God knew specifically what they needed at that time. They couldn't go extra except the Sabbath when they could gather extra for that day. Well, Jesus coming on the scene, as we know, feeds The 5,000 is declaring that he gives the bread of life, that he supersedes Moses. What God did in the wilderness, God does something even here and greater, and that's what we see in this passage. Read verse five with me. So lifting up his eyes, then and seeing that a great or large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, well, now where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said to them to test him, for he himself knew that he would what he would do. Now Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. We'll stop there. So we see the dilemma of Jesus, but I don't want to overlook the fact that it says lifting up his eyes. It wasn't just practically because he looked and he's like, oh, there's a large crowd coming. It was showing that Jesus not only had compassion upon the crowd coming, but he had empathy. That Jesus knew not only that they were coming, but what they needed right then and there. And there was that sense of not just a physical healing that they came to follow, but there was the physical need of hunger and food. And the fact that he lifted up his eyes wasn't just to draw attention to the crowd, it was to say that Jesus' heart was drawn to them. He saw them. As he withdrew from the crowd, but they followed him, instead of sending them away, he meets them and meets their physical need at that moment. In Matthew chapter 9, we read about a different aspect where Jesus saw the crowd coming. And he says that in verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Again, Jesus' heart for people, wasn't just like, hey, okay, fine, you're here. Let's, let's do this. It was more of like, hey, I'm going to meet you where you're at. I'm going to meet your need. And not just the physical need right here and now, but the eternal need as well. It just amazed me because what was the motive of the crowd, remember? It was to see a sign. It wasn't necessarily like, hey, you're the Messiah. They just want to see what the next thing is. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Pixar movie The Incredibles. Um, but obviously as kids... We've watched it a lot. And there's this particular scene where the dad, Mr. Incredible, he's in normal work clothes trying to be incognito, you know, not being a superhero. And he's frustrated and he like picks up this car in the driveway and this little boy in the neighborhood like sees it. Well, there's a next scene later where he gets frustrated again and he shuts the door and the dad notices or feels someone staring at him. And you see the little boy on a tricycle. And Mr. Incredible says, well, what are you waiting for? And the boy says... Something amazing, I guess. And the same sense, the crowd was doing that. They're like, well, we don't exactly know who you are, but we want to see something amazing. Like just amaze us, entertain us. What's the next thing? And instead of like shooing them away because of their motives, what does Jesus do? He has compassion on them. And he acts upon his compassion. See, compassion is when you recognize that someone is suffering. So it's already a recognition of that. But when you act upon that that becomes empathy. You can see suffering happening in our world, there could be injustice, you recognize that, but when you move into action, that is empathy. This is Christ. Hebrews reminds us even of the bigger picture, Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help in the time of need. Jesus lifted up his eyes. Can I tell you something? Jesus lifts up his eyes today too. Like he knows you. And sometimes our motives aren't pure as well. Do you know that? Sometimes we are like, well, okay, I want to do this, and it's wanting one thing in the long run, but you know what I'm amazed is that he still ministers to me despite that. I mean, look to the cross and what he did for you and I. That's amazing. He's a good Savior who looks upon us despite who we are and our motives. That's our Savior. We also see one of his disciples who doubted or scoffed. Jesus asked Philip a question. I love this because it was, it said, to test him. Like, hey, let's see how you answer this, buddy. You've been walking with me for a little bit. You know what I've done. I re- remember the wedding feast in Cana. They got to see him turn water into wine. So I'm wondering if they connected the dots, right? And so Jesus, is like, hey, let me see. There's a large crowd. So, um, Philip, what do you think we should do? How does he respond? We can't even have enough money to buy enough food for bread for these people. Like, it's not going to happen. He turns very practical. He uses a year's worth of wages. Like, even if we had that much money, we can't do it. How are we going to have enough bread to feed these people? And I wonder if there was like a twinkle in Jesus' eye a little bit, or like a smile, like a smirk, like, you just wait and see. But instead, we see that practical mindset I don't know if you've ever had this mindset as well, because sometimes I see that in myself where there's a situation that arises and I quickly say, well, how am I going to, or what do I need to do? Or if I only could, and we tend to want to always problem solve these things in a practical sense, but Jesus thinks outside the box. Like, I'm sure there could have been a lot of different ways these people could have been fed. He could have had something come by and like for some reason this traveling Caravan of fresh bread, you know, breakdown. I don't know. He could have done a lot of different things, but obviously he's shown himself as a miracle worker, what he did, but he works in such a way that's outside the box. The point is Jesus works. That's not on us, but look what he did. George Mueller, who I've shared a little bit about him before, but he was born at the turn of the 19th century from Germany and God called him to go to Bristol, England to oversee an orphanage. And it's amazing when you read his autobiography, because he was definitely a man of prayer. And you hear stories about how God answered prayer. For example, when the orphans were, had no breakfast. And he's like, well, we don't have money to buy food right now. I don't know what's going to happen. He didn't want to make a big deal about it and have people panic. But he wanted to see what God would do. And so he privately prayed. And guess what? A cart broke down of fresh milk, and he's like, Hey, this is gonna go bad. Can I give it to you guys to drink? And he's like, Of course. And so there's milk. And the baker had put upon his heart that the Lord put upon his heart to give bread. And so he got gave bread, and like God provided in those moments. And so George Mueller, as he talked about faith, I want to read a little bit. He said this: As faith was exercised, it was energized, so that it became as easy and natural to ask confidently for a hundred. A 1,000, or 10,000 pounds as once had been for a penny or a pound. After confidence in God had been strengthened through discipline and God had been proven faithful, it required no more venture to cast himself on on God for provision for 2,000 children and an annual outlay of at least 25,000 pounds for them than in the earlier periods of the work to look for him to care for 20 homeless orphans at a cost of 250 pounds a year. Only by using faith are we kept from practically losing it. And the contrary, to use faith is to lose the unbelief that hinders God's mighty acts. So he's trying to say, hey, as I saw God work with the small things, I can trust him to work in the big things. And so here we see there's a situation and we see Christ, he's like, you're missing it. You saw me work with the other things, you can see me work now. And he's drawing his attention. Well then... Let's read verse 8. So one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? On one hand, you could take that maybe he was kind of mockingly saying like, oh, there's a kid here with his lunch. Like, what are you going to do with that? Some commentators maybe suggest that the boy actually wanted to come up and saying, hey, I want to give this to Jesus as an act like the boy had this faith to see what Jesus would do. We don't know, but as we see, God uses that. In verse nine, as we see that the boy who had the five barley loaves, this type of bread is unique in the gospel because it highlights the poverty of the crowd. Uh, Barley wasn't necessarily for uh, the wealthy. It was a poor kind of man's bread. And so as they were showing like the kind of the The symbolism, again, is rich. It's like, hey, the crowd's poor, they're hungry. The Israelites, though, they plundered the Egyptians. They had no food, and they were poor in that sense, and God provided. And so there's this desperate kind of mindset that's taking on. And the people, as we see that, there's also this display of power we read in 2 Kings chapter 4, where Elisha used 20 barley loaves of God, and God multiplied that to feed 100 men. And here Jesus, the greater prophet, he multiplies five barley loaves to feed and two fish to feed over 5,000. Verse 10, it says, Jesus told the people to sit down. Now there's so much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. We can kind of conclude that was the men who were counted, but there was women and children. Some suggest it was 10,000, 15,000, even up to 20,000 people that were here on this mountainside or this grass hill hearing from Jesus. And regardless of the number, We see Jesus displaying his deity, and he made bread. Verse 11, and then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who is to come into the world. We'll stop there for now. The miracle Jesus fed all those people. It was a sign to show that Moses was used by God to feed those in the wilderness. And here Jesus said, here here he is declaring who he is as it was a time of celebration of Passover over the, uh, Passover was near, God asked to give Israel true bread from heaven as opposed to the manna, which was much less than true, real, or genuine in comparison with Jesus. Jesus is more than enough. This taking of the sign of the miracle of the Passover, Jesus gives thanks. He takes bread and, and breaks it and gives thanks to the Lord. That's usually very customary, or traditional for them in the start of a meal for for, uh, Jews. But yet we also can't help but overlook the fact of what Jesus did also on another Passover night with the disciples. The night that he would be arrested and crucified, what did he do? He took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. The one who gave bread also is the bread of life. And yet he gave thanks. The crowd, they understood. They said, this indeed is the prophet, meaning they knew it was the one spoken of. Moses said, the one greater than me is here. But read verse 15 too. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They saw the sign and they make make the right conclusion. Jesus is king the one greater than Moses is here, the prophet, they they made the right insight, but they did it in the wrong way, by force. Jesus is king, but not by man's ways. Jesus is king of kings because who he is. Fully man, fully God, who has all authority. If I can just conclude today with a few things to encourage you. First, God loves the world. Very evident in this passage that God loves. Remember, their motive was wrong. They want to see the miracle worker do something, entertain us. Let's see the next thing. What will it be? And yet He still provided for them. I don't know if you would be the same. Sometimes that's hard for me if I know someone's motives are wrong. Like, I don't want to help you. No, never mind. Or like you kind of push them off. But yet Jesus didn't. He still met them where they're at. Jesus knew the felt need of this large crowd of people. They needed food, but he also became the source of provision. Can you skip to verse 32 with me? And we'll look at this more next week, but I want to highlight a few things. Verse 32. Now Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus could have easily passed and said they look hungry too bad. They came all this way, and I guess they just need to endure. But instead, he met them physically to point to something spiritual, that he is the bread of life. Jesus fed them and pointed that to the ultimate sustenance is in him. The problem for our sin, we need a savior, and it's him. God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will what? Not perish, but have Everlasting life. God loves the world. If you ever doubt that, then look at the cross. This is where God's love was most demonstrated. If I can encourage you right now, if you're ever in doubt or weary, look to the cross. Passover points to the cross. Jesus took our place. The sacrificial lamb, the one without blemish, the one that is their lamb or our lamb, he died for us. His blood overshadows us, if you will, as our covering, because the shedding of blood needs to take place. Look to the cross. He loves you. Do we deserve it? No. Do we have wrong motives like the crowd? Yes. And yet, he meets us spiritually. But also, Jesus meets us here now, too. Spiritually, yes, for all eternity. But I do believe he meets us even in a physical way, with our physical needs, one way or another. He does. God loves us. Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross as he rose again three days later. He proven that and conquered sin and death. It's a seal of approval. God loves the world. Number two, I think we can overlook this, but Jesus is a generous host and hospitable. He is. If I can just brag about you guys, though, I would say a lot of you are very hospitable and good hosts. Uh, many stories I could tell you where we've my family and I've gone over and we're like, man, we get plenty to eat. But if I could give one story uh, of Joyce and Vic at their house, we they invite us over for pizza, and so which I'm like, I don't want to turn down pizza. I love pizza, so we're excited, and so we're sitting there and I feel like I've had like a good amount. Well, Joyce she she leans over and says, Aren't you going to eat more? And I'm like, I'm already bloated. And she's like, but look, at there's so much more. and Like, put stuff on my plate. And then afterwards, of course, was ice cream. Uh, but the way that we see Jesus is a good and hospitable host because he not only fed them, but in a way we could say that they got a pig out. Uh, it says, they ate till there was nut. They were full. They had their fill. They enjoyed it. It was good. And not only that, but there was leftovers to be enjoyed again. Now, there are 12 baskets full, which some suggest it was a basket for each of the disciples, which I will say, if that were the reason, how good is Jesus still? Because he had one who scoffed, one who may be mocked. We don't know. But yet he said, here, this is for you too. He meets them. Jesus took care of them. At the wedding feast in Cana, Jesus gave wine that was better than even what the host could provide. Even something temporal like food or wine, it pointed to what he offers, which is the best and is eternal himself. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? You need to be reminded of that today. Because I know I do sad times. The Lord is good. Jesus demonstrated that. As I mentioned George Mueller earlier, um, God used him in many different ways with taking care of thousands of orphans. And like he even said, like, it just kept growing. And how is God going to provide? Well, God did. And he's like, okay, well, as the Lord gives more, he's going to take care of it all. And He did. But he also went through many different trials, not just kind of with enduring, knowing what's going to take place and trusting God. He had critics, but he also lost his wife to an illness. And that was hard, as you can imagine. But he shared this hymn that ministered to him. He said, best of blessing he'll provide us. Not but good shall ever betide us. Safe to glory he will guide us. Oh, how he loves He had to remind himself that the blessing and the love is from God and what he does. And we look to the cross again, what Jesus did for us. He wrote to a friend and he said, My dear Christian friend, a reader, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness upon God? This way is to open to us as to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust him with all his heart and to cast his burden upon him, and to call upon him in the day of trouble, will you not do this, my dear brethren in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of the state of heart, in which, while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace, because you know that the living God, your Father, in heaven cares for you. He is good. He meets us where we're at. And we see that demonstrated, not just physically, but also eternally. It points to him. He is the bread of life. See, the manna that the Israelites would eat, it was good for that moment, right? I mean, it fed them, but guess what? They're going to be hungry again and again. That's the problem with hunger. You just kind of, or with eating, you just get hungry again. But Jesus says, in me, you'll be truly satisfied. He's good. Like John, he always gives at the end how people respond. Jesus doesn't want fans but followers. He is king, and yes, they recognize that, but they had the wrong way of doing it, by force. He's like, no, you missed it. The kingdom that Jesus rules is bigger than Palestine, bigger than Israel. He rules and reigns over all. He has all authority, and the one who has all authority loves you. Let me invite you to be more than just a fan of Jesus. Yes, he is a good man, a great man, you may say. He did great things. No, Jesus is King, God in flesh, who knew no sin, the sacrificial lamb who gave himself up for you. I invite you to follow him, the one who's good, the one who meets you where you're at. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning, he's good and he meets you. He ministers to you, and he rules and reigns. Will you follow him? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. I ask, Lord, that as we just reflect upon your word, as we leave here, thank you, God, and ask that the Holy Spirit continues to minister to that and move in our minds and our hearts uh, you know what this week's going to take place in, in our lives. Uh, you know the news that we may hear that we're not expecting. Um, I just ask that we would have our mindset on you, Lord, that we look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, the one who says, I am the bread of life, the one that we see that he fed 5,000 people miraculously because as Jesus is God, we see that hope. And even bigger than that, Jesus was pointing to what he gives eternally. Jesus wants not fans. He wants followers. And if there's anyone here that is not one, Lord, I ask that they would. They would turn from their sin. They would say, I'm sorry. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I believe in you. I confess with my mouth. I have faith that not only Jesus, you died, but you rose again from the grave, that you are alive. I believe in faith. Lord, I pray for all of us that we continue to follow after you, that we are refreshed and renewed right now. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you that we get to look to our Savior who is good, who is perfect, who gave himself up willingly. Would you watch over us as we want to live boldly for you this week? Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening, and if you would like more information, please visit rcbcbellingham.com.